to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. Cannabisradio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. Hey, this is great, man. Now, here's your host, Radical Russ Belleville. Good day, tokers and tokens and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Wednesday, July 13th, 2016, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. Welcome to the show. Glad to have you here. Coming to you live from beautiful Eagle Potland, Oregon. But today's show is dedicated to our friends north of the border. Today is our all-Canada show, eh? So we're going to get some great Canadian activists on today's show. I've taken the final panel from the Cannabis Hemp Expo that took place in Vancouver, British Columbia this weekend. It was an all-star panel of Canadian activists, and it was moderated by Jamie Shaw, herself a great activist up there in Canada. And on the panel were Jody Emery, the Princess of Pot, who's done such great work over the past five or six years. We also had on the panel Mark Hayden. He is a researcher in Canada who brought a lot of the science to the panel, so that was good to see. We'll also hear from Dana Larson from Sensible BC. He's the uh, overgrow the government guy. He's also written numerous books, including Harry Pothead and I forget what the subtitle of of it is, but Harry Pothead and... uh, uh, green buds and hash instead of green eggs and ham. So he's on the panel as well. You'll also hear from Mark Emery, the Prince of Pot, who is back in Canada after his five-year prison sentence in the United States. And you'll hear from lawyer Kirk Tusaw, who has argued in front of the Canadian Supreme Court and brought some legal perspective to the panel. We've broken it up into five parts today, so we'll play two of these parts in hour one, uh, starting at half past, and then in hour two, we'll play the other three parts for you. But in addition to our all-star Canadian activism panel, we've got some other stories to get to today. In our Cannabis Chronicles today, we're going to take a look at the sales figures for recreational and medical marijuana in the state of Colorado. After just five months, they've reached an, a milestone and continue to, to shatter records. So we'll take a look at that uh, right after the Cannabis Radio News. And I'm going to move up the radical rant to earlier in the show today because there's been some news about an outbreak of synthetic pot in Brooklyn, New York. 33 people falling out, uh, being described as pot zombies and taken to the emergency room. So we're going to talk a little bit about the synthetic pot epidemic and the obvious solution to it that uh, people in New York's leadership still don't want to have to address. But all that comes after the Cannabis Radio News. And in the headlines today, we've got a response from the Republican Party on whether or not medical marijuana should be legalized. We've got the Arizona initiative for legalizing marijuana under attack from its opponents that include some DAs and sheriffs. 
We've got some research coming out of Berlin, Germany, telling us just how long human beings have been using cannabis hemp and how it may have helped to develop trade routes in the Bronze Age. We've got uh, news from Montana, where the medical marijuana cardholder fee has dropped extremely low. We'll tell you just how low, just how cheap a medical marijuana card is in Montana now. In Maryland, we've got some news on their burgeoning medical marijuana system and the upcoming announcement of licenses that will be issued in Maryland. And we've got news from Hawaii, some changes to the Hawaiian medical marijuana program to clue you in on, and a new graphic coming out of Washington State to warn kids about edible pot products. All that coming up on the Russ Belleville Show, live from Potland, Oregon. Thanks for joining us here exclusively on CannabisRadio.com. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Earn your Ph.D. in THC monetization with CannabisRadio.com. Don't be late. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. CannabisRadio.com keeps you in the know Monday through Friday on air and on demand with Cannabis Radio News. Presented with the definitive worldwide news source, the Associated Press. Stay informed with exclusive news on all things cannabis. Cannabis Radio News, live weeknights at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, during the Russ Belville Show. Or download the daily podcast exclusively on CannabisRadio.com, as well as iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. When breaking news happens in the cannabis industry, Cannabis Radio News delivers the details first. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. We need to build a wall. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Are you playing an acoustic guitar but want to be louder without an amp? Try a resonator guitar. The fingerboard extension has national resophonic and other resonators, square necks, and round necks. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Go wild hog in the woods. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Wednesday, July 13, 2016. Cleveland, Ohio. 
While the Democratic Party recently adopted a platform plank supporting the legalization of marijuana, Republican Party delegates meeting in Cleveland voted against endorsement of medical marijuana. Some delegates expressed concerns about marijuana as a gateway drug, a cause of mental health issues, the drug of choice of recent mass shooters, and as part of billionaire George Soros' portfolio of social causes. The Republican Party's rejection of medical marijuana stands in stark contrast to the overwhelming public support for medical marijuana, including over two-thirds of self-identified Republicans. Phoenix, Arizona. Opponents of the campaign to legalize recreational marijuana in Arizona filed a lawsuit Monday asking a judge to bar the initiative from the November ballot. Arizonans for Responsible Drug Policy argue that marijuana legalization backers are deceiving voters while pitching the measure. The motion seeking a preliminary injunction alleges that the petition sheets distributed to voters for their signatures are invalid because they omit information about the initiative's full effect. Election officials are still verifying whether the campaign to regulate marijuana like alcohol submitted the 150,000 valid signatures needed to qualify for the ballot. The group says it collected more than 250,000 signatures and submitted the petitions June 30th to the Arizona Secretary of State's office. Berlin, Germany. New research published in the journal Vegetation History and Archaeobotany finds that humans used marijuana in Europe and East Asia as early as 10,000 years ago. Researchers also found a sharp increase in cannabis cultivation and use beginning around 5,000 years ago at the start of the Bronze Age. Archaeologists note that the trade routes across Europe and Asia began developing around that time, and there is some speculation that the trade in cannabis hemp helped develop those routes. Evidence points to obvious uses of cannabis for food and fiber, as well as ceremonial use as a psychoactive substance. Billings, Montana. The state health department has reduced the fee it charges to obtain or renew a Montana medical marijuana card from $75 a year to $5. Montana had about 13,000 medical marijuana card holders in June, down from a high of about 30,000 in 2011. Beginning on August 31st, Montana medical marijuana caregivers will be limited to three patients. However, in November, voters may be asked to consider two related initiatives, one that would lift the three-patient restriction and another that would repeal the medical marijuana law. Supporters say they have gathered enough signatures, but neither initiative has been confirmed for the ballot. Baltimore, Maryland. The state of Maryland will announce the 15 marijuana growers selected for medical marijuana licenses early next month. The August 5th deadline is some six months later than original projections to have licenses awarded in February. More than 1,000 investors applied for the coveted licenses, which are being ranked by Tosin University's Regional Economic Studies Institute. Licenses for 94 dispensaries to distribute medical marijuana will not be determined at that time. Once licenses are issued, it is expected there will be another six-month wait before patients are able to access medical cannabis. Honolulu, Hawaii. Patients have more options to gain access to Hawaii medical marijuana now that nurses can certify people for the use of cannabis, a change advocates say was needed because there's a shortage of doctors willing to do the certification. Hawaii's governor signed the bill Monday updating the state's medical marijuana dispensary law. State law allows medical pot shops to open July 15th, but many dispensary owners say they won't be ready before the end of the year because they haven't had enough time since licenses were awarded in April. Olympia, Washington. The Washington Poison Center has revealed a new icon to warn children about marijuana edibles. The graphic is a red hand raised in a stop gesture with the large words, not for kids, to the right of the hand. The logo also contains the toll-free number for the Poison Center. 
The logo was designed after Poison Center had suggested the use of the Mr. Yuck symbol for marijuana edibles. Critics charged that a child seeing an adult eating something with that symbol on it would dilute its effectiveness when used on poisonous substances. Rules requiring the new symbol take effect on July, January 17, 2017. All marijuana shops in Washington would have 90 days to clear their shelves of marijuana edibles lacking the symbol. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Wednesday, July 13, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. Forwarding the cause of legalization and research of the growing cannabis industry one podcast at a time. The Cannabis Radio Network. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. This is Cannabis Facts from Robert Platchorn's thesilvertour.org. Supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. In 1937, the second most prescribed medicine, marijuana, was banned. It wasn't about marijuana. The paper, oil, and chemical industries lobbied to end hemp farming. No longer labor-intensive, an acre of hemp produced more quality paper than four acres of trees. Plastics and fibers could be produced from a plant. Hemp can even produce ten times the energy of today's ethanol. As marijuana prohibition ends, many states now allow farmers to again grow hemp. This was Cannabis Facts from the Silvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to process America's hemp crop at hempinc.com. The Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com, the national wildlife refuge for marijuana unicorns. Get dot buzz. Dot Buzz is the internet platform that fuels community interest, excitement, and new experiences. Dot Buzz is the premier online destination for internet users seeking the latest news on a variety of topics. Dot Buzz appeals to groups active in blogging, communications, journalism, advertising, and marketing. Dot Buzz offers registrants a stronger alternative to the shrinking namespace of existing top-level domain names, such as .com, .net, and .org. Get your name now at get.buzz. Mark Twain once said that when there's a gold rush, it's a good time to be in the pick and shovel business. Today, we look at the rapidly evolving markets in the marijuana green rush in our Cannabis Chronicles. Today, folks, we take a look at the state of Colorado, where new sales figures have been released for the month of May. They give us $37.7 million sold in the month of May in Colorado from medical marijuana and 60.85 million from recreational or adult use 
marijuana. That's nearing 100 million in sales. What is that? 97, 98 something, 98.5 million in sales, almost 100 million in sales. And it represents the fourth highest total. There have been three months greater, and those all topped $100 million in sales. The monthly marijuana sales set a record in April of 2016 at $117.4 million. That, of course, the uh, 420 holiday helps a lot in that case. So the addition of these May sales of almost $100 million means that Colorado marijuana shops have sold more than $486 million of product in the first five months of 2016. So we're, we're closing in on a half billion dollars worth of sales in the state of Colorado. Keep in mind, in 2015, the state overall for the entire year sold $996 million worth of marijuana products and damn near close to a billion. This year, we are very likely to be over $1 billion in sales in Colorado alone. And this is uh, showing the sales of marijuana throughout 2015. Again, $996 billion. The recreational total for 2015 was $587 million. $587 million. They're already at $307 million five months into 2016. Medical marijuana, $408 million in 2015. They're at $178 million through five months in 2016. So it seemed to me that the major amount of growth happening here year to year in the Colorado marijuana market is not from the medical consumers, but from the recreational consumers. Now, this is having uh, an effect all throughout the country as well. As states continue to look at Colorado as the example, and, and good thing they are, they don't look at Washington very often, but they find that uh, flower, edibles, and concentrate sales in the month of May, again, just looking at the month of May, contributed $14.5 million in taxes to the state of Colorado. And considering this five months, this first five months of 2016, that's $71.4 million in tax revenue and uh, licensing fees for these entities. This becomes an argument that is harder and harder for other states to resist. It's also an argument with some level of diminishing returns. Colorado is certainly experiencing some of this increase in the recreational marijuana sales totals thanks to out-of-state visitors. The tourism figures have already come through and shown us a great increase in tourism in Colorado since the legalization of marijuana. Almost half of the people who plan trips to Colorado say that legal marijuana factored into their decision. So the money that's coming in for Colorado is the kind of money that's only going to be coming into the first few states that legalize. Right now, Colorado, Oregon, Washington, and Alaska have this special tourism draw thanks to being the only places that have legal marijuana. After 2016, we'll see California legalize, Arizona and Nevada, the entire West Coast and Southwest will be a legal marijuana region. We will also see Massachusetts and Maine legalize, providing another area of the country for people to experience legal marijuana. A lot of those tourists who might come from New York or Pennsylvania or somewhere on the East Coast 
to make their way to Denver for 420 may find themselves making their way to Boston or Portland, Maine for 420 in the years to come. So it's only the first few states that pass this legalization that are going to get that benefit of the tourism dollars. And as more states have legalized, the late states that get into the game aren't going to have that same sort of tourism. And by then, the price of marijuana will, be have, dropped, will have dropped so low, there'll be less tax revenue to be reaping from it. So get in on the game while the getting's good. I'm not a crook. I've burned everything I've got. Well, not quite, but... <laughs> well, folks, it's 420 in Denver, Colorado, where they're celebrating almost a half billion dollars in sales already. Well over a half billion once you get the numbers from June, I'm sure. Shout out to Lively Libra, the former Lively Libra Lisa, who's out there in Colorado, slinging buds in the mountains. We're going to take a break. Be right back after this. Next to THC and CBD, you can now add CBR to your cannabis vernacular. CBR as in CannabisRadio.com. Cash? Sorry. I don't carry around cash, and I don't want to use the ATM and pay surcharges. You don't need to carry cash. Haven't you heard about PayQuick? Okay, tell me about PayQuick. It's the safe and easy way to pay. It works just like your debit card to securely pay for your purchase, and it gives you rewards points every time you use it. Nice. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. I'm Radical Russ from the Russ Belleville Show. Tennessee's Congressman Steve Cohen. Well, you know, if marijuana is a gateway drug, then kissing is a fake gateway activity to sexual addiction. U.S. Representative Jared Polis. Yes, we really have a growing group of, uh, of, of representatives that um, support decriminalization. It's the Russ Belleville Show, the NPR of POT, weekdays live at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific, exclusively on CannabisRadio.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The Supreme Court is wrong on the Second Amendment. Okay, maybe you're high too. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The law office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make them. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it, and didn't inhale. And one major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical Rant. Today in the rant, we want to take a look at a story coming out of Brooklyn, New York, where 33 people were hospitalized in one day 
Thanks to what is being blamed on synthetic marijuana, Spice K2. We've talked about it before on the show. And it's available over the counter in head shops all over New York and all over the country. Even though it's been banned in many places, it's the kind of situation where the bans are hard to enforce. Basically, what we've got here is a synthetic cannabinoid, and it was developed by John W. Huffman. He was a scientist in the 1990s, a chemist, who was trying to find ways to mimic natural cannabinoids, phytocannabinoids, what we find in the plant, THC and CBD and so forth. Now, why would he be spending the time to do such a thing? Well, because marijuana is a Schedule One drug. So a researcher who would normally want to just experiment with some cannabis to determine how it would affect human brains and human behavior can't do that without going through a huge amount of Schedule One red tape. In fact, more red tape for cannabis than you'll find for any other Schedule One drug. The United States government at the National Institutes of Drug Abuse and their pot farm at the University of Mississippi are the only provider of Schedule One cannabis for research in the United States. There are numerous providers of Schedule One LSD or Schedule One PCP or Schedule One psilocybin that you can get a hold of if you're a researcher, but only one place you can get your marijuana from. And as we've reported in the past, it's some pretty swaggy marijuana at that. So because we can't, because a scientist can't get a bag of marijuana, even though a teenager probably can, but because a scientist can't get a bag of marijuana, they got to find some other way of experimenting with cannabinoids. And that's where John W. Huffman comes in. In the 90s, he comes up with some compounds that mimic phytocannabinoids. And there's a whole bunch of these. They all, they all have numbers based on his initials. JWH, John W. Huffman, JWH 018, JWH 239, and so forth. And, and what's going on here is that you take a molecule that is similar in structure to a cannabinoid and you tweak it here or there. A little tweak on this bond or a tweak with that salt and before you know it, you've got a different compound that is technically under the law, not cannabis. See, when they ban these substances in the Controlled Substances Act, they have to say exactly what they are. You can't just say weed is banned. You have to say chemical THC is banned and chemical CBD is banned and so forth. So if you take chemical THC and you flip a switch on it here or there in the, in the, in the bonds of the uh, molecule you no longer have a THC molecule. And so these synthetics have been used for years and years to mimic cannabis. But there's where the differences start to come in. The other thing that you do when you're making a synthetic uh, molecule for lab tests is you want to make sure that it works quickly and that it works effectively. In a sense, these synthetic cannabinoids are turbocharged types of cannabinoids. If you think of your body and your brain having endocannabinoid receptors and that these endocannabinoid receptors are activated by our endogenous cannabinoids, the anandamide in our system, think of that as a tickle, 
right? Like when the anandamide in your body hits that receptor, it goes tickle, 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 tickle. Okay. Now, phytocannabinoids, like what we find in pot, you know, the THC and stuff, when those hit your receptors, it's more of a caress. A little, less, a little more pressure than a tickle, man. You can feel it, right? That's why we get high on THC. We don't really get high on our body's natural endocannabinoids, except, I mean, we do. Uh, you experience the runner's high, for example, is an endocannabinoid high. But generally speaking, the endocannabinoids are a tickle and the phytocannabinoids are a caress, you know, a little more. Well, in that analogy, synthetic cannabinoids are somewhere between a slap in the face and a knockout punch. They're designed to really agonize your receptors, really just turn those suckers on. And so they're made for research. They're made for doping up mice and rats. They're not made for human consumption. And the other thing that's problematic with these is because they are illegal, they're unregulated. And so you get Chinese chemists cooking up batch after batch spraying them on some unknown sort of uh, plant material. And the spraying of this batch on the plant material is inconsistent. So it might be heavily soaked on one bud, but not heavily soaked on another. It could be a particular JWH this time around versus a different JWH the next time around. That's why you have this area in Brooklyn where the homeless population, the down and out, have been using this synthetic pot for a while now because it's cheap. It's like a buck for a, a, a hit there. You can get a $10 bag at a head, head shop. A bag of real pot goes for 350 bucks in New York. Synthetic, you can get it for 50 bucks online, 10 bucks on the street. And this is why this, this population that's been using it for a while hasn't really been exhibiting any problems with it until the other day when suddenly 33 of them go into full-on pot zombie mode or collapsing in the streets requiring ambulances to take them away. Because they got a bad batch. They've always been smoking and using the K2 or the Spice or whichever one it is. This time around, looks like they got a bad batch. Just like you'd see a, a, a bout of salmonella or E. coli from bad or a dirty restaurant. Same kind of idea here. They got a bad batch of the K2. And this ends up putting them in the hospital. And this, of course, leads to the New York tabloids running all these scare headlines about pot zombies and, and, and the, the synthetic pot overdoses and, and all of the type of framing that makes things worse for our side. According to one resident, they said it looked like a scene out of The Walking Dead. Pairs of police officers walked the blocks around Broadway and Myrtle Avenue, checking the vital signs of men they found unconscious. The New York Times reported anyone who was unresponsive was loaded onto a stretcher and taken away in an ambulance. So the most glaring and obvious solution to this is the legalization of marijuana. A Rolling Stone uh, report that I'm reading on this says, would legalizing marijuana curb the epidemic? Well, duh. John W. Huffman himself said making real marijuana legal would drive down the demands for the chemical drug. Nobody wants to smoke the K2. They would prefer the real thing if they could get it. New York City Councilman Corey Johnson made the point that some people smoke K2 to avoid a positive drug test result for marijuana, a much safer drug. This is another reason that we should be taxing and regulating marijuana rather than criminalizing it and driving people to alternatives like K2. 
end quote. Well, I'd like to have that sort of optimism, but legalizing marijuana alone isn't going to do that. It's going to be legalizing marijuana followed by the ending of the prejudice against marijuana consumers. Here in Portland, Oregon, one of the most legal places on the planet, employers still have the right to fire you or not hire you if there are marijuana metabolites in your urine. So legalization hasn't stopped some people from being driven to K2, even here on the West Coast. And what a damn shame it would be to have a negative experience with K2 or Spice living in a state with legal marijuana. Legality itself is not the magic bullet that solves these problems. We need to keep fighting to make sure that we get equality, not just legality, but equality. That we end this prejudice and double standard and separate but equal status for cannabis consumers. We deserve lounges to smoke in. We deserve jobs. We deserve health care. We deserve child custody. We deserve medical procedures. Our use of cannabis should be of no more interest to an employer, to a school, to the government than someone's use of beer. It's a shame we have to have people go into the ER for K2 overdoses before people start coming to their senses and recognizing that only legality solves this problem. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, the all-star Canadian marijuana activism panel, Jody Emery, Mark Emery, Dana Larson, Mark Hayden, and Kirk Tussaud. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Keep your cannabis cravings under control. Feed your mind with CannabisRadio.com. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Normal stands for responsible adult cannabis use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks are far less than those posed by legal drugs. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Don't want to spend money on a night out, but don't know what to do other than watching TV or playing video games? Consider playing guitar, bass, banjo, or mandolin. The instrument will give you hours of entertainment with friends with minimal expense. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today, or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com.
activism begins with ACT. The Rush Belleville Show features the stories of hardworking grassroots activists working for an end to prohibition in today's activist agenda. And now the first of five-part panel from the All-Star Canadian Weekend. All right. It's time for our final panel of the day, legalization and public activism. Uh, I would like to introduce our moderator, uh, Jamie Shaw. Jamie is both a former director and former staff at the BC Compassion Club Society, where her work was comprised of various roles, including communications beginning in 2012. Jamie has also served three terms on the board of directors at the Canadian Association of Medical Cannabis Dispensaries, CMC, uh, CAMCD, two and a half of those as president. Her successful lobbying in Vancouver led not only to the city implementing licensing for dispensaries under prohibition, but also to the creation of a second class of license based licensing based, based heavily on the BCC, C, well, wait a minute, BCCS model. I apologize for that, Jamie. Um, and requiring membership in Camp CD. She's also the co-founder of the first Canadian chapter of Women Grow in Vancouver and a writer for cannabis resource, the cannabis resource website, Canleo. Sorry, That's okay. There we go. Please welcome Jamie and our panel. My panel looks to be a little light at the moment, but I do see Kirk. So we will start with Kirk Tusa. Exactly. Kirk Tussaw is a barrister and advocate for law reform. His primary practice areas are medical cannabis regulatory compliance, cannabis criminal defense, and strategic litigation. In addition to the daily practice of law, Kirk sits on the boards of the British Columbia Civil Liberties Association, Normal Canada, MAPS Canada, and the Sensible BC Society. Kirk has written and spoken extensively on issues related to drug policy. You're not going to take a seat? It's a panel discussion. It's a panel discussion. Well, you may have the whole time. I don't see. <laughs> so, Kirk has written and spoken extensively on issues related to drug policy, privacy, religious freedom, and criminal justice policy. He has testified several times before the House of Commons and the Senate, and litigated the first medical cannabis case to be heard by the Supreme Court of Canada. Kirk Chersot. Uh, next, we have Jody Emery. Uh, Jody is a political activist, public speaker, and longtime marijuana legalization advocate. Together with her famous activist husband, Mark Emery, who's not sitting next to her, uh, she owns and operates cannabis culture stores, cannabis culture vapor lounges, cannabis culture news, and pot TV. Jody is invited to speak at a variety of conferences and rallies in Canada and the United States and is regularly featured in mainstream media stories about cannabis, uh, prohibition, and legalization. She's also often asked to provide media commentary on other topics, including policing, taxation, war, and the environment. Judy has, uh, Jody has run for provincial office four times, including two BC Green Party election bids. In 2014, she campaigned for the Federal Liberal Party of Canada nominations in Vancouver East. Jody Emery. Next to Jody is Mark Hayden. He's an adjunct professor at the University of British Columbia and teaches in the UBC School of Population and Public Health, Nursing, Social Work, and Medicine. He is the chair of the board of the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, MAPS Canada. 
He has published on the issue of drug control policy in the following journals, Canadian Journal of Public Health, International Journal of Drug Policy, Encyclopedia of Public Health, Harm Reduction Journal, and Open Medicine. Mark has worked for the Addiction Services for 28 years and currently works with the Health Officers Council of British Columbia on their position papers on the issue of a regulated market for all currently illegal drugs. He was awarded the Queen's Diamond Jubilee Medal for drug policy reform work in 2013. And he's also someone I quote extensively whenever I'm talking to parent groups or school boards. Mark Hayden. Sorry, they're, they're not sitting in order, so I've got to go all over the script here. Uh, next, we have Dana Larson. Dana is a well-known Vancouver cannabis activist, businessman, and politician. He served 10 years of editor of Cannabis Culture Magazine, is the co-founder of the Vancouver Seed Bank, founder of the Vancouver Dispensary Society, and was vice president of the Canadian Association of Medical Cannabis Dispensaries. Larson was a founding member of the BC Marijuana Party and the Canadian Marijuana Party. In 2003, he joined the NDP running as an NDP candidate in 2008. In 2011, he ran for leadership of the BC NDP. Larson is also founder and director of Sensible BC, Canada's largest grassroots cannabis reform organization. Larson is the author of several books, including Harry, Harry Pothead and the Marijuana Stone, and the recently released Green Buds and Hash, uh, as well as the illustrated history of cannabis in Canada. And last but certainly not least, we have Mark Emery, the world-famous Prince of Pot. Uh, he's known for his essential involvement in the marijuana movement since 1991. He helped make marijuana books and magazines legal in Canada, sold bongs and vaporizers when it was illegal to do so, created Cannabis Culture Magazine, founded Pot TV, and campaigned in elections at all levels of government since 1980. Mark is most recognized for selling marijuana seeds to the United States and worldwide when no one else would, donating millions of dollars to political groups, election campaigns, court cases, and activist organizations. He was freed from the U.S. federal prison in 2014 after being extradited in 2010 and now operates his cannabis culture stores and vapor lounges, Cannabis Culture News, and Pot TV with his wife, Jody. Welcome, Mark. Uh, so this panel discussion is, uh, the title of it is actually two topics and not one, and each topic probably could have had its own panel. Uh, and I could literally listen to each one of these people speak for at least two hours. So we're going to have a bit of a problem getting this into 20 minutes, uh, especially when I'm going to start off by talking about my bracelet. Um, one of the links in this bracelet says, I read banned books, and all of the other links in it are cover art from books that have been banned. Uh, so to start off our conversation, Mark Emery, you were an activist as a bookstore owner in London, Ontario. So how would you define what is an activist? An activist who does something on principle and without any personal gain. So I've always said you're not an activist if the police charge you and you try and defend yourself in court because you're looking after your own survival. You know, your own personal interest is very much at stake. So when we advocate for a principle that we do not gain by. That's activism. Now, sometimes we do gain by it. So, you know, that, that's when we have to question how much is self-interest and how much is actual public interest. Thank you. Uh, and that actually was going to ask this question later, but that leads into it fairly well. Um, in cannabis, public activism and civil disobedience often go hand in hand with some sort of business or monetary gain. Uh, when Mark was sentenced to jail in the United States, Jody, you picked up both of those responsibilities, both the activism and the business. Um, how do you see the balance between those two, between the business interests and activism? Part of 
what inspired me about Mark's activism when I first found out about him was that he was not ashamed to say that you need to make money to make a difference. Uh, no charity can help anyone who's poor or hungry if they don't have money. No political party can do any political activity without donations and money. Everything we require from all of us here, we all pay rent, we buy food, we all need money. And money is required to do good, just as money is used to do evil. So money itself isn't bad, but a lot of people let their desire for money allow them to compromise their principles and morals to do bad things. But there are a lot of people in this world who have money and make money to give away, to do good with. Like all these social events and fundraisers, you know, these black tie events that I, I haven't ever been to and many of us haven't, but at least they're using money to give to something and the something that gets the money needed it. So using a business to create money to finance a cause, but also to pay your own bills and keep a roof over your head isn't something to be ashamed of. In fact, it's required. A broke activist can't really do much except use free public Wi-Fi to post on Facebook um, or to do something on their own with their limited means. But if you're not able to create funds and money, you're not going to actually be able to print handouts. You're not going to be able to buy medical marijuana to sell to people who need it. You're not going to be able to do anything without money. And that's why so many groups here are nonprofit, but they seek money because without that money, they can't do the good that they do. So business is required for activism to be successful. And a lot of people find their own personal freedom and liberty through being self-employed and creating a business and hiring others. For myself running our lounge, I have 36 employees in our lounge store media and seeing some of them come up with their own little side business and they're making money selling a product and they're branding and they're partnering with friends and that's a wonderful thing and wouldn't we all be so lucky to benefit from the economic freedom that marijuana can provide us all and which is also required at this time to change the laws so we can have that freedom. Thank you. Yeah. We'll have more from the Cannabis Hemp Expo's all-star Canadian activism panel. We'll hear from Dana Larson from Sensible British Columbia and from Mark Hayden, the public policy professor, his suggestions as to how he'd like to see cannabis, caffeine, and alcohol and tobacco regulated. That's coming up right after we take this short break. We still have to pay some of the bills, and we encourage you to visit our sponsors. Even just click on their website to let them know you're out here. You don't have to buy nothing. But if you feel like buying something, please do. We're back right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. From dabs to chibas, sativas to indicas, we roll out a whole concentrate of fresh new content every week. It's like going from the greenhouse to the dispensary. CannabisRadio.com 
Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. About a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow. The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put the big celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin and Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is him being that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Doc Rob, the concierge for better living. Cannabis is just one of the many great plants that we have on this planet called Earth that we can use consciously and intelligently to improve our well-being. Take a real, raw, inside look at healthier living while sharing great ideas and improvements for a better quality of life. Learning to live and live well is a lifelong process. This is a journey. It could be you could be 80 years old or 8 years old. You can still learn something that's going to make tomorrow a little bit healthier, a little bit easier, a little bit happier, a little bit better. The Concierge for Better Living with Doc Rob. Only on CannabisRadio.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. As it relates to my brother, there's one thing I know for sure. He kept us safe. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Hey, everybody. It's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. Um, we're going to actually talk a little bit right after. Uh, I'm going to do Kirk first. Uh, yeah, because we're going to come back to activism a little bit. Um, but the other half of the title was legalization. So we're going to come back to, we'll go a little bit more into legalization and then kind of come back and marry the two together. Um, one of the proudest moments in my life actually was reading Justice Philan's ruling and seeing that my testimony had actually affected him. Uh, being able to affect a judge like that is something that Mr. Tussaud makes a career out of. Um, so, Kirk, uh, you wanted to kind of talk a little bit about home growing and how that fits uh, within uh, basically the, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, in particular Section 7. Yeah, thank you, Jamie, and thank you for your testimony in Allard. And I just want to take a moment to recognize uh, the people that have pioneered this industry. You saw some of them on the panel immediately uh, before this one who put their liberty at risk every day in order to advance uh, social acceptance of cannabis and medical cannabis in order to advance political and legal goals. We hear a lot of discussion now about uh, what legalization is going to look like, uh, legislation anticipated in the spring of 2017, and I wanted to just make a few comments on home production or personal production of of recreational or adult-use cannabis and how that fits into the charter. I think there's a a general um, misunderstanding of what the charter analysis looks like. Uh, you know, because we talk about whether there's a right to grow at home or a right to grow medical cannabis at home. And that's, that's really the wrong question. Uh, and it's the wrong question for this reason. In a free and democratic society uh, that is committed to principles of individual autonomy and maximizing individual choice, the starting point is not what they will allow you to do. 
The starting point is liberty and what constrains the government's ability to restrict your liberty. Uh, Canada is not a parliamentary democracy any longer. Canada is a constitutional democracy with the enshrinement of the Charter. And Section 7 of the Charter says to government, it's a restriction on government conduct, it says to the government that you are not entitled to infringe the life, the liberty, or the security of the person of any Canadian citizen unless you do so in accordance with the principles of fundamental justice. Now that's a pretty heavy phrase, so let's unpack it a little bit. Uh, the analysis in the courts are, number one, can you demonstrate uh, on a balance of probabilities that your rights have been infringed? And so let's look at the case of a, a legal cannabis environment in which the pro there's a criminal prohibition still in place on growing for yourself, growing this plant for yourself. Clearly, your liberty interests have been infringed because there is a criminal prohibition restricting your individual conduct. That's the case any time there's a criminal prohibition that, in, that restricts any of your individual conduct. So the rights infringement portion of the analysis, the first part where you ask, has liberty been infringed, has to be answered in the positive any time there's a criminal prohibition. I would go further to say there's also a restriction on your security of the person. Your security of the person is what protects your ability to make autonomous choices about things that are serious and important to you as an individual. It, it's, it's your... Uh, conception of what the good is in your own life. And I say that when you're criminally restricted from growing this plant, your security of the person is also implicated. So let's ask then what the second part of the analysis is. It, does that restriction accord with the principles of fundamental justice? Now, wh what are they? Uh, very interestingly, uh, the first case of the Supreme Court of Canada uh, to determine um, Section 7 and its relationship to cannabis was the Malma Levine, Clay, and Kane case. David was up here earlier. He's one of the early warriors on this. And as he said, he represented himself in the Supreme Court of Canada. Videos available online. He did a great job. Um, unfortunately, the Supreme Court of Canada did not find that simple possession, uh, the ban on simple possession, offended the Charter. The difference, though, is that since that decision, there's been a fairly significant development in the law about what we understand the principles of fundamental justice to be. And so in the context of uh, a criminal prohibition, those principles of fundamental justice are, uh, is the law arbitrary? Well, what does that mean? It means, does the law achieve its purpose, or does, in fact, it act contrary to its purpose? The purpose of the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act is the protection of public health and safety. That was uh, found by the Supreme Court of Canada in the Smith case. It was confirmed by the federal judge in Allard. And so what we were able to demonstrate in Allard with Jamie's help and the help of many other people is that the uh, MMPR restricted individual liberty and it did so in a manner that actually made people's health worse. Uh, it actually impacted their safety and their health in a negative way. Well, a law that is designed to protect public health and safety but in fact has the opposite uh, result is arbitrary. And so I would say to you that a restriction on personal production of cannabis in an otherwise legal environment is arbitrary because the only outcome of that restriction, that criminal restriction, is a negative impact both on the individual's health and safety and on the public health and safety because the activity will be driven underground and into the black market. There's another principle of fundamental justice known as overbreadth. That's when a law, otherwise rational on its face, in any individual circumstance goes too far. And again, we saw that in Allard. Yes, it's true that you can grow cannabis quite dangerously. That does occur from time to time. But for any individual person, 
you can grow it perfectly safely uh, with no detrimental impacts either to your own or to communities health and safety. And so for each individual plaintiff in Allard, the government was unable to demonstrate that the purpose of the statute, protection of health and safety, was implicated in that person's case, and therefore the law was also overbroad. There's a third principle called the principle of gross disproportionality, uh, which stands for the basic proposition that the punishment can't be grossly more severe than the harm to be prevented. And I would say that if you can go to the store and buy cannabis, uh, if you can uh, have a business selling cannabis and making money lawfully to, in a social use or adult use way, um, how then can you visit the criminal consequences, including jail, locking human beings in cages on people who are growing that self-same plant at home with no risk to others for their own personal consumption? I say you can't do that and have a law that is consistent with Section 7 of the Charter. And so when we talk about what legalization might look like, and I hear the government may or may not be considering home production. The reality is if there's no home production, if there's no right to produce this plant for yourself, not for commercial purposes, but for yourself or for non-commercial trading with your friends like you can with all manner of other things, uh, then it's not truly legalization and the lawsuit will be filed the day after the law is uh, brought into effect and we'll have to go back to court and fight for these rights as we have so many times over the past uh, 20 years uh, on this issue. So I hope not to have to do that, quite frankly, uh, but I'm certainly ready to do it if it becomes necessary to do so, and I believe we would win. I, um, I've always had a bit of a problem with the public health arguments, not that I feel that they're not important, but that I feel that they overly focus on the harms and they don't really consider possible benefits very much. Um, so trying to balance real public health concerns against imaginary public health concerns and how that was going to fit into legalization, um, do you have any thoughts on that, Mark? Funny, funny that you ask. <laughs> Sure, I'd like to comment on both what Kirk and Jody have said. There's a number of issues coming down the federal government pipe at us that I'd love to look at from the public health perspective. So should the dispensaries be part of the next system is a very interesting question. And the public health argument essentially says yes. But the reason for it is an interesting one. The, there's an author out there named Wilkinson who wrote a book called The Spirit Level, that did a wonderful analysis of social problems in our society, everything from low birth weight babies to murder rates to addiction rates. And what he said is one of those compelling drivers of problems in all societies is egalitarianism, which means the distance between the rich and the poor. If you have a society that concentrates wealth at the top of the pyramid, it tends to be a very sick society, and you have many social problems resulting from that. So if we build a system that sells cannabis, that concentrates money at the top of the pile, we will have a sicker society than if we spread the money around. So the dispensaries, by definition, are, tend to be very small. They're individuals, people sitting at the table, or small groups of people. They're not large multinational corporations. And so in a public health argument, you'd keep the existing dispensaries, you'd require them to take relatively small, and you'd have lots of them. That's an egalitarian that's a great idea, if you ask me. That's Professor Mark Hayden speaking on the All-Star Canadian Marijuana Activism Panel at the Cannabis Hemp Expo. It took place this weekend in Vancouver, British Columbia. We've got the last half of that panel coming up in three parts in Hour 2. You'll hear more from Jody Emery, Mark Emery, Dana Larson, Mark Hayden, and Kirk Tussaw, moderated by Jamie Shaw. 
That's all the time we got for hour one, though. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned. Hour two is next. And in the beginning of hour two, we're going to tell you a little bit about why Big Pharma doesn't want to see legal cannabis anytime soon. New data in confirms what we've always known. They don't like the competition. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. Joker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Or you can tell. I am here. Uh, or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Poplin, Oregon at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man, the Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? Don't tease me. We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of Gonta Graphics, the sultan of Sativa Statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. All right. Welcome back, everyone. It's hour two. Toker Talk Radio is in effect. Although our phone line is down, we have lost our 971-533-7111 phone line. Now i got to get a new phone line. So bear with me while we uh, get that taken care of. Also, the RadicalRest.com website is... Da- well, it's not down. It's up right now, but it's it's frozen in 2012. <laughs> I got to get the new RadicalRest.com site taken care of sometime these next couple of weeks as well. And uh, having a meeting with my IT guy tonight, so we'll see uh, what happens with respect to that. But I'm, I'm hoping we'll have something for you in a couple weeks here. want to get the uh, RadicalRest.com VIP system up. And yes, if you were a 420 radio VIP, you will be transferred over to being a RadicalRust.com VIP. Also, quick shout out before we get back to the uh, Canadian All-Star Activism Panel with Mark and Jody Emery, Sensible BC's Dana Larson, 
uh, Professor Mark Hayden and lawyer Kirk Tusaw that's moderated by Jamie Shaw. I wanted to make a quick note of this piece by Christopher Ingram in the Washington Post. One striking chart shows why pharma companies are fighting legal marijuana. And it refers to some data that we reported earlier. A new study that's been uh, released in the journal Health Affairs finds that where medical marijuana is legal, prescriptions for the drugs medical marijuana can replace go down. So this was from 17 states that had medical marijuana as of 2013. They found in medical marijuana states, the average doctor prescribed 265 fewer doses of antidepressants, 486 fewer doses of seizure medications, 541 fewer anti-nausea doses, 562 fewer doses of anti-anxiety medication. But the most striking difference was 1,826 fewer doses of painkillers in any given year. So drugs for spasticity, depression, sleep disorders, seizures, psychosis, nausea, anxiety, and most of all pain all decreased in the 17 states that had medical marijuana. Now, there were actually, there was actually one surprising uh, piece of information from this study, and that was in states that had medical marijuana, there turned out to be more doses for glaucoma medication. And that seems odd because glaucoma is something that we often recommend medical marijuana for, but compared to some of the other glaucoma drugs that are out there now, it's not as effective. You have to smoke pot all day, every day uh, to get the relief, and some people don't want to do that. So there are new medications, some eye drops and such, that actually do a better job than cannabis does. So there's some theory here that the people that try medical marijuana for their glaucoma get some relief, but they realize it's short-lived, and so they go to their doctor looking for something better. So that's the theory there. But they also wanted to compare this, you know, well, maybe medical marijuana, uh, maybe all drugs went down. So they took a look at other drugs, things like blood thinners, antiviral drugs, antibiotics, drugs that you wouldn't replace with medical marijuana, and they found no difference. No change in the prescribing patterns for the drugs that medical marijuana does not replace. In the news release, the lead author of the study, Ashley Bradford, said... The results suggest people are really using marijuana as medicine and not just using it for recreational purposes, end quote. Well, you know, the pharmaceutical companies don't like it when doctors are recommending 1,800 fewer painkillers every year. We got some Canadian activism coming up right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Legal to listen to all over the world. We're just not sure about France. Cannabisradio.com. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber Vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. 
Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Boober way. ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone of Tilk Radio. You're going to be a great granddad. Pretty cool. <laughs> Morgan is Ray Dawn's son. Uh, Morgan and his wife Tracy, they've been trying to have a baby for quite some time. <laughs> Did you hear what I said to Morgan? What? Do you know who the father is? <laughs> <laughs> the Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. Um, and just before we get into like more fuller discussion points, um, I'd, I'd like to, a few words from Dana, who actually I feel kind of has bridged this gap fairly well. He's stayed very relevant as an activist. Um, movements like Overgrow Canada really keep up with the changing game board. Um, and what do you think is next? How can activists keep evolving at this stage where we're in this kind of in-between period? Well, that's why I started giving away the seeds, I guess, because I felt, I feel like growing is the final frontier uh, of what we want, everybody to be able to grow their own. And this has been a 20-year civil disobedience campaign. You know, Mark really launched it with, with the information and the literature and bongs and then seeds and the dispensaries that picked it up. And, and, and that's been a, a huge area of growth. And, you know, a lot of dispensaries are, are not really so medical anymore and just selling to everybody, which is, I think is very good. And, but people still can't grow openly, right? And that's still the thing that, that's not really allowed yet. And, uh, and so I thought giving away seeds to encourage everybody to grow was kind of the next, the next phase in that. And, and I don't really know where you go beyond that. I mean, other than sort of pushing, we've, all the things that we've got, we need to push to have more and more. But if everybody can grow their own, if we've got independently run dispensaries selling cannabis to people, and if we've got access to vapor lounges and bong shops and information, that's kind of what we want, really, in terms of what our culture, you know, what we, what we want to have available. So I don't really know where to go beyond that, other than actually changing the law. You know, the civil disobedience campaign is great, but the, we're still living under Harper's laws. And in fact, in terms of changing the laws in Canada so far, our movement has been terrible. The laws have only gotten worse over the last 20 years. But the enforcement of those laws, the reality on the ground, public opinion, court decisions, and every other way, it's been great. But the laws that Parliament passes have not gotten any better yet. Hopefully we got a good one coming down the pipe, right? Uh, but so that's how I see it, and I, and I feel our campaign is going to have to continue. And whatever they put in is not going to be good enough, right? Legalization 1.0 is going to be better than prohibition, but not a lot. And we're going to have to keep pushing. And whatever parts in there we don't like, we got to keep breaking those laws and keep doing it until we get to legalization version seven or eight, where we start getting the kind of system that we're actually looking for, right? So that's how I see it. It'll be an ongoing campaign for a long time. And civil disobedience certainly isn't the only part, but it's a key aspect, but it takes all these things, you know, political work, civil disobedience, public opinion, working at all levels of, of government and all different parts. So all these things come together to make change. But civil disobedience, I think, is a big driver in terms of if everyone's already breaking the law and nobody cares anymore, it's pretty easy to change the law at that point because everybody already thinks it's done, right? So that's how I see it. It's true. Yeah, thank you. Um, this is, of course, yeah, this is, of course, what's also leading to tension right now because we've been told we're going to be legalized. We've been told that it's going to be based on best evidence and, and on public health. Um, but what we've really been hearing back in terms of what they have considered best evidence in public health hasn't really been overly reassuring. Um, Mark, did you have comments on what Dana had said? 
Sure. Um, version one is cannabis. I'd like to speculate as to what version two is. I'm, well, I, I'm taking off my public health hat for a second. And I'm putting on my MAPS hat, which is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. Cannabis is first, psychedelics are second. And, and quite frankly, heroin and cocaine are third and fourth. You know, all currently illegal drugs need to be part of this. Cannabis just opened... Yes, cannabis is a gateway drug. Yes. It's a gateway to legalization. That's the gateway. And so we need to continue the process. The beginning, the, the beginning is cannabis. Nice. Yeah, and that's uh, something that A.C. Braddock had mentioned in one of the panels yesterday that, that has always been uh, what my thought about cannabis was, is that it was, it was the plant that was not going to fit in the box, no matter how hard they tried to put it in that box. And once they realized it doesn't fit in that box, maybe other plants don't fit in that box as well. Um, Dana, do you have a... Well, I would just say I think it's going to be the same path where I think medicalization of psychedelics will be the thing, right? It's easy to say no to some kid who wants to take it on the weekend, but a veteran who's got PTSD and he needs MDMA, it's a lot harder to say no to them. Yeah. And then just like with cannabis, you start realizing, well, if it's good for the person who's sick, it's also good to help prevent those kind of things. It's also maybe good for regular people to use in the right context as a preventative mm-hmm. or as a, you know, whatever, right? There's lots of studies showing that, you know, magic mushrooms, even a single experience can change your whole life outlook in very positive ways. So I think we'll see the same kind of, the vulnerable groups that are hard to say no to will be in the front, and that will kind of normalize these things for other people, and then we see, well, it's good for everybody, really, right? So, yeah, nice. Um, Kirk, I just wanted to get back a little bit to uh, home growing within legalization. Um, the deadline's coming in fairly soon for when we're supposed to see some sort of draft around the medical. Um, so do you think they're going to try and tackle like a medical patients are allowed to grow first and, and then maybe include that into legalization? Well, I, I, certainly the Allard ruling requires the government to address the constitutional deficiencies of the MMPR uh, by the 24th of August. Now, that clock's ticking relatively quickly. Um, it does not appear from an outsider's perspective that the government has made substantial progress towards a new regime. Uh, I suspect that uh, they're not entirely sure what to do. I, and I suspect largely the reason they're not entirely sure what to do is that Justice Phelan kept uh, jurisdiction and kept the injunction alive that protects so many patients, uh, former MMAR patients and producers, and said essentially that the injunction lives until further order of the court. Now, as a practical matter, what does that mean? In the past, when the government has responded to declarations of constitutional invalidity, they've uh, moved inches rather than miles. They've taken very incremental steps towards constitutionality. I've argued in court unsuccessfully, but will continue to argue, uh, that those responses have been contemptuous of the decisions of the courts. Uh, in effect, they've thumbed their noses at the ongoing uh, constitutional dialogue between the courts and, and the legislature and a charter-based democracy um, by taking these tiny little steps. The difficulty is I think they'd like to take a tiny little step in response to Allard. I, I think they'd like to implement some kind of like five-plant hard cap on medical uh, producers if you have a permit from your doctor, uh, and then just revitalize the MMPR as the uh, commercial distribution avenue, perhaps with some retail components uh, through pharmacies or the like included. Um, the difficulty with that approach is they're not going to get rid of the injunction by doing that. Uh, we've educated Justice Phelan enough that he understands that if you can't 
justify any prohibition on home production in the context of a lengthy charter trial with tons of expert witnesses, the entire resources of the government of Canada uh, at your disposal, bringing in experts from all over the world if you're the government of Canada. Uh, and you can't even justify the restrictions on all of our plaintiffs, by the way, all of whom could produce in excess of 100 plants each. Uh, it's going to be very difficult to go before that justice again and say, well, we fixed it, Judge. It, people can all grow five plants now because the arbitrariness problem remains. Uh, it, it is just as safe or unsafe to grow five plants, 50 plants, 500 plants, 5,000 plants. It just depends on how you're doing it. And so... I think there's a big problem there, and I don't think the government has figured out how they're going to address that problem. I can tell you that John and I and the other lawyers involved in Allard are prepared to go back to court if we need to, to continue to fight this battle uh, that we've been fighting for many, many, many years uh, in the courts. I hope, I, I desperately hope we don't have to do that. It, it is difficult. It is arduous. It is tough for the witnesses. It is tough for the lawyers. It's tough for all the people out there that don't have any ability to control the outcome of the events, and yet their very lives depend on what those outcomes are. And so it, the government has a real opportunity here. Um, quite frankly, I'm not sure why they're not simply just thinking about bringing back the MMAR for personal production and caregiver production and having the MMPR with some tweaks be the commercial distribution system. It needs a lot of tweaks, but that's beyond the scope of this panel. That seems to me to be the easiest short-term solution whilst you figure out the rest of it. Uh, but, but I have no idea what's in their heads, and, and I fear to speculate. Yeah, fair enough. Um, one, one of the big issues with diversion, of course, is, is why they're worried about plant numbers and they're talking about loss of revenue, but they're also talking about uh, access to youth, which touches on what I was talking about earlier about the public health. Uh, right now, our colleges consider 25 to be youth. Um, so in any sort of legal rec market, it wouldn't be anyone under 25 wouldn't actually be legal. Um, Mark Hayden, you had some comments you wanted to make on that. Well, the issue of access to youth, I think, is the most controversial. And... There's essentially two positions out there, and I'd like to fill in the middle ground. The position of Justin Trudeau is it's a nasty drug, and if youth get a hold of it, it'll damage their brains. The position of David Malmo-Levine is it's the same as caffeine, treated the same as caffeine. So those are two relatively divergent points of view. Um, I've put a lot of thought into the middle ground, and I'd like to just throw out some, some ideas here. Is my position on access to youth really comes from a paper I've just finished writing on, on psychedelics and the, the po a post-prohibition regulatory model for psychedelics in a world of public health. And we looked at the various pieces of the puzzle. Piece of the puzzle number one is there's 23 states out there that allow parents to supervise their children's alcohol consumption. Piece of the puzzle number two is ayahuascaros and peyote traditions have always allowed youth access so long as... There's parental approval, but not parental supervision. The, the issue of health access, if you think about the difference, how we as a province, how young people access health services, I think is relevant because youth are divided into mature and immature minors. Mature mi minors being defined as those who can make their own decisions and understand what they're asking for, and immature minors being defined as those who can't. All of those examples that I've just given essentially are guided by adults guided by adults in some kind of ceremonial context, or some kind of context, which is sometimes ceremonial. My observation is my interest in drugs is historical and cross-cultural. 
And if I look at all drug use throughout the history of mankind, and I look at all drug use around the planet today, largely benign use of drug that's integrated into cultural uses is supervised by adults in some kind of cultural context. And so at the end of the day, I took all of those pieces of the puzzle and wove it into this paper, basically saying, yes, youth should be able to access it but they should be able to access cannabis with some kind of context that really we as a society haven't figured out yet. And we need to have a larger discussion of it, and it probably needs to some, have some guidance by elders. I find it interesting, I'm slightly off my public health hat for a second, to observe the number of people who are participating in green ceremonies now. The existence of the ayahuasqueros, who have come widely throughout North America, have raised an awareness of the issue of ceremonial structures around drug use. And that's spinning off for people who are now doing green ceremonies. In fact, there are a number of people in this room who are participating or running green ceremonies and bringing a spiritual and healing tradition to a cannabis process. I find that absolutely fascinating. Personally, I think that's the discussion that we need to be having. Thank you. Um, I think we're a little bit over time already, so we should probably move to some questions because I imagine there will be some. Um, I just uh, wanted to add very, very quickly. Is it getting chilly in here, or are you wearing an anatomically correct bra? It's 4.20 here in beautiful legal potland, Oregon, and we'll get back to the question and answer segment of the all-star Canadian marijuana activism panel. When we return from break, we've got a safety meeting we've got to get to. Also, looking forward to the next couple of days of shows, we got Cops Say Legalized Drugs coming up tomorrow, and Friday, we may be speaking with Mary Lou Burton from the Oregon Cannabis Fair, so stay tuned. Being green is good. Growing green is good. Making green is great. CannabisRadio.com Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. It's time for Cannabis Facts about teen drug use from Robert Platchorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp, Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. A recent survey by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control indicates that in states that have legalized medical marijuana, the rate of marijuana consumption among high school students has not increased. In fact, in legal states like Colorado, teen use has actually decreased significantly. It's simply no longer a big deal for teenagers in legal states. This was Cannabis Facts from thesilvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on cannabisradio.com. I also believe we need a fence. The problem is if El Chapo builds a tunnel under the fence, we have to be able to deal with that, too. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. 
Are you playing an acoustic guitar but want to be louder without an amp? Try a resonator guitar. The fingerboard extension has national resophonic and other resonators, square necks and round necks. Stop by the fingerboard extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Go wild hog in the woods. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. We go back to the all-star Canadian marijuana activism panel Moderated by Jamie Shaw, featuring Mark and Jody Emery, Dana Larson from Sensible BC, Mark Hayden from MAPS, and Lawyer Kirk Tusaw. We bring you back now during the question and answer session at the panel. Interesting. Um, Yeah, one of the things for me that I find is missing from most of these discussions is we've apologized for historical wrongs in other areas. We've apologized for the Komagata Maru. We've apologized for the head tax. We've apologized for residential schools. And yet we're still ignoring the knowledge and approach that the elders in these societies had towards these drugs. So that's really resonant with me in particular when you speak of that. Okay, one quick statement, one quick question. The quick statement is, I think you mischaracterized what I say. I never say that cannabis and caffeine are the same. I say caffeine's uh, more risky, dangerous in three categories. Cannabis is more risky in one. Caffeine is more risky in overdose deaths, overuse deaths, and withdrawal symptoms. Cannabis has higher impairment levels of novice users, which could justify some restrictions that don't apply to coffee beans. However, uh, I do think... We have to be um, realistic about the um, amount of obedience that teenagers display, which is zero. (laughs) Zero obedience. They're going to use it anyway. Do we want them using it with safe point of sale and quality control, or do we want them buying off the black market from Buddy, who also is selling coke and heroin? That's really the only question we have to decide about that. And I think, uh, would you have a problem, Mark Hayden, with... A system that had 16 and over, like the Senate report recommended, buy on their own, 15 and under with parental and physician supervision also have access. Would you have any problem with that? This feels a bit like deja vu. I keep having the same conversation with you, David. Yes. If you're going to mischaracterize my statement, I'm going to put you on the spot as punishment. I stand corrected about your position on caffeine. Okay. So I I have no problem with cannabis being made available, but the issue, again, is a ranked system. So cannabis should be more available than alcohol, and alcohol should be more available than tobacco. So a ranked system makes complete sense to me. And then I throw psychedelics in the mist, and I think some kind of supervision is required, essentially. Where does uh, processed food and sugar fit into that ranking system? And there's chocolate. Let's talk (laughs) about the damages and health risks of chocolate. Caffeine, we let kids a, have caffeine. You know, there's a, any can I chime in? Yeah. There's, the, there's also another point to be, to be sort of elucidated from the discussion, right? Because we talk about access, 
teenagers have access to cannabis. Let's, you know, when we're talking about access, we're talking about access through a legal avenue of access, right? And so I think that there's a, a big difference between uh, a system in which no young person can be arrested or saddled with a criminal record arising from their use of cannabis uh, and a system which also then subjects young people to the influences and vagaries of capitalism as consumers being convinced that they should buy and consume more and more and more of a product that is making money for the people producing and selling it. And, and John Conroy and I actually had a fairly pitched argument in front of Bill Blair about this, uh, at the end of which I sort of looked at Mr. Blair and I said, and, you know, you, you must have thought I was the radical one first, but I'm not as crazy as Conroy. Um, because he, he favored a system where 16-year-olds could go into a store and purchase cannabis. And I said, no, no, I, I don't happen to favor that system. Um, I happen to favor a system in which no young person or any other Canadian can face criminal consequences for accessing cannabis. But I think the decision and whether a 16 or 17 or person under the age of majority should be able to have access to it, uh, legal access to it, is a decision that has to flow through a parent or other supervisory authority, not through a profit-motivated shopkeeper. Um, because at the end of the day, when cannabis is legal and becomes a commodity like everything else, it's going to be marketed, sold, and it's going to be you know, something that puts money in people's pockets, and therefore there's a real incentive to get you to buy as much of it as possible. Bush spells a, bil- a billion dollars every year to try to sell alcohol just in North America. The same is true for caffeine. Would you favor age limits on coffee purchases? Well, I I think I'd favor um, parental restrictions on accessing highly potent caffeinated substances. But, you know, caffeine, I appreciate your, your nuanced distinction between the risks of caffeine and cannabis, and thank you for explaining that because it helped clarify my thinking on your position as well. But the impairment piece is pretty strong, and, and by definition, most youths are novice users. So, so I think there's a, there's a pretty fundamental difference there that it's hard to get it over when you're talking about age limits. So, I, I, I do think there's also a point that we're kind of glossing over that was, that's actually is the point. Um, how many people in this room had alcohol before they were of the legal age of majority? Everybody. <laughs> how many of you had cannabis before it was legal? <laughs> All right. <laughs> You know, I, I actually turned, uh, I became age of majority in Alberta when I turned 18, and then I moved to Ontario before I was 19. Uh, so I became illegal again. And then I went to school in the United States where I was illegal a third time for a whole year. Um, so there's a, there's a ridiculousness to this. I think you wanted to say a little bit more on the... It's, it's interesting to look at how youth use changes with legalization. So it's interesting, the Dutch youth use cannabis at about 50% of the American youth, and they've done that for 30 years. It's very low. And now that the states are legalizing cannabis, youth in the states where it's becoming legalized, youth is going down. Yeah? I just, something just came to mind I've never thought of before, but how old are young teens when they start babysitting? I think you can start babysitting when you're about 12, 13, 14 And, you know, you're responsible for another living being who's often a baby or a child. So is the concern about kids and cannabis or young people, I mean, that bothers me too. What's a young person? What's a teen? What's a kid? You know, if 19-year-olds are kids, then, you know, we're, we're twisting up our language here. But if a young person is responsible enough 
to be home alone or to babysit or to have a newspaper route of their own, are they then responsible enough to decide whether or how to use cannabis? And I haven't thought about that before, but I was 12 years old when I was taking care of somebody's kid, and I guess I was responsible enough at that time. So I, I don't even know. This is just amusing that came to mind. So. Yeah. Um, I have one quick thought about age limits is that they don't need to be the same for all cannabis products, right? A cream or a salve should be available to anybody. CBD products that don't get you high. There should be no agents for that at all. And, you know, and maybe even... And on the other end, maybe like a super concentrated psychedelic dose of cannabis should be a higher age limit than being able to smoke a joint or something. Something that can really, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing graduated things like that. With a lot of stuff, it's the dosage and the potency that affects it more than the stuff itself. So a lot of cannabis stuff, I think, should have no age limits at all. Absolutely. Um, and so, uh, you, you, Mark, you just had a question. What exactly was your thought around that? Because it does tie into age limits, absolutely. But One of the issues is that's being floated by the federal government is should cannabis be available in liquor stores? And the, the, the public health analysis of that is actually quite straightforward, is that, yes, if it replaces alcohol, because alcohol is more harmful both individually and from a community and family point of view, and no, if it increases the use of alcohol. And we actually don't know yet. There is some evidence coming out of the initial legalization experiences in the States saying that alcohol use goes down, which is actually a good thing when cannabis becomes legalized. But if we want to find out in Canada, what we do is we take four stores in two different provinces, two are urban, two rural, that have established track records in terms of of the sale of alcohol, and then we sell cannabis in them, and then we see, does alcohol use go down with that experiment? And if it does, then yes, we should sell it in liquor stores, including the dispensaries. And if alcohol use goes up, we shouldn't sell it in liquor stores. And if it stays the same, then it's a political choice. Also, if it can cause people to combine them together more, that would also be a factor, right? Absolutely. Because even if they're not drinking, you know, if they're, if they're mixing them together more often, I'd say that's also probably a negative. And, was, uh, and Denmark is specifically yeah. using cannabis in uh, programs to get people off of alcohol. So yeah, there's that issue as well. And I know people that have just done that naturally. They just stop drinking alcohol when they start smoking. And so do you think that might be why the liquor control boards want to sell marijuana? Because they're thinking, well, first of all, some people might choose pot over booze, but maybe it's also a way to sell more booze. I don't know. We don't know how it would happen. But if they're bringing people in to buy weed, and clearly with the supply and demand being demonstrated by dispensaries, a lot of people demand access. What? And so if they go to a booze store to get their weed, maybe they'll be tempted by that picture of Captain Rum or whoever he is, you know? They'll be selling infused <laughs> alcohol pretty quick, right? You'll have exactly. an alco infused alcohol with cannabis together combined into one thing, which, nah. which could cause fine, problems not, too, even. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, especially if you're just still experimenting or still getting used to either either one of the two substances. Right? Um, did you have a question? Uh, one of the older Central American civilizations is known as the Toltecs, and there's at least one tribe that continues with the old ways. Once a year, the uh, elders they climb up their holy mountain, and they take heavy doses of peyote and they uh, base their plans for the coming year on the uh, 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 insights they receive from those experiences. However, they, throughout the entire year, they take light doses, and they also give light doses to their children on a regular basis throughout the year. And this is a really good example of how uh, cultural prejudices about drug use can be based... Uh, uh, much more, or, or I should say, attitudes towards drug use can be 
have far more to do with cultural prejudices rather than the actual effects of the drug. Ayahuasca traditions also involve um, infants, actually prenatal infants, children, and at all ages. All, all ages, people are involved with ayahuasca ceremonies. You know, the problem is, is in my mind, has never really been with use. It's, it's the, the same thing that Kirk was kind of mentioning earlier. It's why we need regulations. It's got nothing to do with the plant. It's once you allow somebody to make money off of it, it's people that are the problem. It's not the plant. And, and it's the same thing with drugs. What we find, if there's people that have certain attitudes toward drugs, certain cultures that don't have the same problems that other ones do. Um, so trying to find that merge and that meld is, is really the tricky part. I think that's a very important point made on this Canadian activism panel, and it refers back to something that folks at Normal have always called set and setting, understanding how and why you're using uh, a particular substance and, and what are the, the ceremonies and understandings and, and the respect that you give that substance. Drugs in and of themselves are neither good nor bad. It is how we have our relationships with them and how we control their markets. Those are where the problems can exist. And of course, some of these psychedelic drugs have to be treated with a great deal of respect. They're very powerful. They open you up to all sorts of truths and realities you may not be ready for. Make sure you got a babysitter. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Cannabis use isn't the only thing growing. So are we. Grow with us. CannabisRadio.com Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's orders. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina. Candid. I want to give you the inside story. Captivating. I want to introduce you to my kind and amazingly talented friends. Compelling. We get to meet some of the most amazing cannabis activists and warriors around. Listen in as medical marijuana pioneer Dr. Dina shares never-before-heard stories, chats with cannabis insiders and celebrity friends, and provides invaluable perspective and insight into one of the fastest-growing industries in the world. I want to share with you what was once confidential information. Let's expose the truth, discuss the issues, and learn the facts. Cannabis Confidential, only on CannabisRadio.com. This is the Russ Belleville Show, annoying Kevin Sabat since 2012. The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest growing business association in the fastest growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel One on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. You can find Radical Russ online everywhere. Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube. 
SoundCloud, Snapchat, LinkedIn, and Boise State University's 2400 baud modem bulletin board system from 1985. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. Final segment of the show today and wrapping up this Canadian all-star activism panel moderated by Jamie Shaw and featuring Mark and Jody Emery from Cannabis Culture, Dana Larson from Compassionate BC, Mark Hayden from MAPS, and attorney Kirk Tussaw. They continue their discussion, and they're getting into the questions and answer segment. Also, don't forget to stay tuned after this segment for the Stoner Jesus Show, coming to you live here on CannabisRadio.com every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Uh, J-Mac. Hi. Hi. I'm really high, sorry. Hi, j Pot TV. My question is to Mark, uh, Mark Hedden. Um, in regards to the, to the um, access to marijuana in a liquor store, can I please have two reasons why you think you do, and may I offer you my reason why you can't? So I think you asked why should cannabis be available in liquor stores? Well, I actually didn't say it should be. What I said is we don't know. No, no, no. no. I heard you say you want to do it in two communities, two stores, one world, one country, which is good. But I want to know why you want to do it in a liquor store and only two stores. Well, the question is... um, the observation is cannabis is less harmful than alcohol. Alcohol is more harmful physically to the human body, and it's also more harmful socially and, and families. So if cannabis replaces alcohol, that's a good thing. I, you know, I, my question was, why do, you want, why do you think it is a good reason to sell cannabis in a liquor store? I'm not asking you yes. for... I'm not asking for uh, why, why you want that. I don't know why you think... It to be sold in the liquor store because I, can I, well, I really want to, can I say this? Um, my opinion why it should not be put in a liquor store for one reason is because if, if, if somebody goes there who buys beer and weed and they get in an accident because they smoke a joint and drink beer, how are they going to accuse, what are they going to say? They're going to be like, oh, they're going to be like, oh, cannabis killed this guy. When it wasn't cannabis, it would be the alcohol, not the cannabis. He's worried about mixing cannabis and alcohol together. No, because you know that will happen. 
Yeah, yeah and Mark will actually have should be sold in a liquor store. He was just saying if it if it actually turns out that it'll like reduce alcohol, then it might be a good idea. But he wasn't actually saying. Hey, what that's you're what asking is a research question. Yeah. The yeah. research question is what is the relationship to cannabis sales and liquor sales, and we actually don't know yet. Yeah. So, but if I, we I, found, I, I don't want to know what the difference is. I don't want to know why you want to do it because it's me. Well, I would want to do it if it replaces alcohol. Yeah, it would. Because alcohol is more harmful. But then if alcohol, then wouldn't it become a dispensary back to square one? That actually is is one of the things that muddles this entire argument, actually, is because when they say put it in the liquor stores, do they actually mean put it in the liquor stores or do they mean put it under the liquor board? Uh, We heard from one of the unions, for example, that you could apply for a private liquor store license and then nothing in that license tells you you have to sell liquor. So they were looking at people being able to sell one or the other or both and thinking that it might just sort of work in there. Uh, and then you've got the LCBO model and in Manitoba where they're pushing a, a slightly different idea of, of it actually being in the liquor stores for sure. And that's not what we've seen anywhere else. Even in Washington where it went under the liquor board, uh, that's not called the liquor board anymore. It's not, now called the liquor and cannabis board. And they're two separate stores that are just kind of overseen by the same regulatory body. So there's a lot of questions in those proposals about what exactly they even mean. One of the arguments brought up about for Washington State especially mm-hmm. was that they wanted to save money by using a pre-existing bureaucracy rather than creating a whole new one. So they said, well, the alcohol distribution model already exists in Washington. So instead of duplicating this entire system with all the employees and all that you'll need, why not just put it all in that same group? Um, but of course, as with any decision, there's consequences and negatives and positives. So um, I think that was a, a, sell, a selling idea for the people that, you know, it saves money, it reduces bureaucracy, and so I think that was one of the benefits of a liquor distribution model, but clearly the underground market still exists in Washington uh, because any overregulation will lead to the continuation of uh, the underground market. Well, yeah, and, that, and their big mistake is the one that it looks like we're going to be making as well, where we don't bother fixing any of the problems or issues with our medical side. We just kind of move ahead with recreation and maybe end up throwing the recreation, only the medical, right under the bus. That's what's going on in Washington right now. So I'm um, sad to see. Okay, thank you, uh, Jordy, for giving me a clear answer. Thank you. Oh, Thanks, J-Mac. <laughs> awesome. I really hate to cut this incredible panel um, short. I think we could really have a longer discussion. It's wonderful to have the experts come out here and get in a kind of round table, problem-solving way, and um, just kind of clarify some things that we need to understand before going forward. I really want to thank every single one of our panelists that's here and for all your hard work, especially the activists who, you know, from the beginning have paved the way for us. Really, it wouldn't have been the same without all of their hard work, their commitment, and their heart. I also want to thank Jamie for all her support and being an incredible moderator. Thank you. Thank you. So just a few words um, before we kind of close the container of this incredible two days. Um, so inspirational and so exciting and so informative to be with all of you here. I opened up this speech with a wise, so it was, com- it was reverence, so honoring the plant, and that's, I think we really, really did that. We all joined together and we, um, you know, put her in a new light, and that's what the community definitely needs to see. 
Um, the second thing, of course, was community, compassion, and unity. And it was so beautiful to see all of you connecting from heart space in a positive way with each other. I hope that that will continue as we go forward. It was really like the feedback that we got, Jay and the Cambridge team house, such an incredible job again for putting this event on. Yeah, thank you. The two feedback that we got was no longer why, why are we doing this? It was when and where are we going to do this again? And so continuing that conversation forward with um, at least once a year for us to come back together, ground in and have a community update about what's going on. So we're all in the know. The last reason of why I felt like we were here, of course, is the responsibility and stewardship for our planet. And that was also really taken care of. Um, I loved what uh, an andamide represents for us right now. That was the endogenous cannabinoid neurotransmitter that was discovered by Dr. Hanos. And it's all about bliss and balance. So as long as we take that away from this conference, staying in your bliss, staying in your balance, in the equilibrium of your internal state, we can project that out into our world and be able to create the internal world outwards. So I really invite all of us to commit to that. Now, um, before I uh, finish, just a few thank yous as well. So of course, we wouldn't have been able to do this event without our sponsors and the exhibitors. The exhibitors are conscious community, conscious business, and they help support the platform for education and also engagement. So thank you so much to our each and every single exhibitor that came and invested that time, invested that, um, as Jody said, the currency that allows us to be able to keep doing this advocacy work and, um, and forward movement. I also want to thank Crop King Seeds, Kyle and his team for their incredible support as, as our top sponsor. Namaste Vapors, thank you so much. Cannabis Growers of Canada, um, as well as, uh, as, well as um, the online dispensary. They were uh, together in the sponsorship. I want to thank Moda, MJ Freeway, Canutra, um, as well as... Uh, of course, uh, I forgot to mention these two friends, Mike and Carmel. Carmel's in the, in the middle sitting there. They just so generously gave their time as far as our social media, just getting our ads out. They didn't ask for anything, and I really just want to appreciate your support and help in that, definitely. Thank you. Um, some logistics also, just a few things. Please return anything that you found, including cell phones, just up here. Just pass it to me. I'll make sure that we put it on, online so people can get it. Um, please, <laughs> please give us some feedback. This is the People's Plant, the People's Conference. So whatever you guys feel that we need to improve on, maybe next year we've got to close off the space because it was incredible what was happening here. There was so much magic. Um, I also want to reiterate that the CBD project, Martin A. Lee, who's one of our esteemed speakers here, he's um, giving two hours of his time uh, for free to the, to the community. So write this down. It's the Waterfall Gallery um, at uh, Granville Island. Beautiful uh, art gallery where he's going to be speaking tomorrow, continuing the CBD talk from 6.30 until 8.30. It's going to be catered with some uh, great food. Um, come out and listen to him. There he is, Martin. Thank you so much uh, for coming all the way from California and uh, continuing that uh, gifting uh, of your time and expertise. Uh, Miss, uh, Miss D has a really fun night uh, um, planned for you guys at the Sand, so make sure you guys go and check out the reggae night there tonight. Just 
continuing the good vibes. Um, yeah, so I also just want to say a happy birthday to my partner, Samir, who's right there. <laughs> Such an incredible light and love in my life. I really wouldn't be able to be so grounded without him. I also want to say happy birthday to Joel, who shares the same birthday. Happy birthday. And I'd like to welcome uh, Quetzal Tattle, yes, who she opened up the beautiful ceremony. She's our grizzly mother, you know, protective indigenous support and um, guidance. And so I'd like to bring her on for the closing prayer as well. And just to let you know, there's already some magic happening regarding the next conference. And I keep saying it's going to be Brazil. And... Yeah, I really feel the plants are coming together. I feel like ayahuasca and cannabis are coming together. And so mark your calendars, possibly for next August or September. There might be a a continuation of this talk. And I already talked to um, our sponsor, Namaste, and he's like, yeah, definitely. We're we're situated in Brazil. And I talked to Dr. John Widmar. He's like, yeah, I I live some of my time in Brazil. So the magic is already happening. We'll probably also do another um, community gathering in Victoria. I think that's the next spot that really needs to be illuminated and supported with their community as well. So thank you again to all the panelists who came and said yes (laughs) and trusted this process. And I hope to see all of you guys next year. Thank you for coming out. Thank you for being part of the community. Thank you. Thank you. Great panel there in Canada. My thanks to Mark, Emery, and Dana Larson for having me up there. My first ever event in Vancouver, and I'll be back in October for the International Cannabis Business Conference. Remember, the Stoner Jesus Show is coming up next here on CannabisRadio.com. Stick around for that. We're going to close up shop here when we return. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. We don't limit how much you smoke, and we don't limit where you listen. Cannabis Radio is now on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. The cannabis industry is growing, business is booming, and as new opportunities arise in newly legalized states, each market is getting more competitive. Today, it takes more than just being a good grower. Do you have the resources to market and handle this ever-changing business landscape? Let Canna Management Corporation help you grow your canna business with our vast resources and experience to make your business a fully functional service company. Financial management, HR, sales, marketing, efficiency, and more. CMC has the experience and the expertise to improve your business and help you better meet the demands of your clients and customers. Call Canna Management Corporation and let our team get you ready to grow. 415-269-8015. That's 415-269-8015. Or visit canna-management.com. 
This is Cannabis Facts from Robert Platshorn's TheSilverTour.org. Supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. In 1937, the second most prescribed medicine, marijuana, was banned. It wasn't about marijuana. The paper, oil, and chemical industries lobbied to end hemp farming. No longer labor-intensive, an acre of hemp produced more quality paper than four acres of trees. Plastics and fibers could be produced from a plant. Hemp can even produce 10 times the energy of today's ethanol. As marijuana prohibition ends, many states now allow farmers to again grow hemp. This was Cannabis Facts from thesilvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to process America's hemp crop at hempinc.com. Tommy Chong is ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone of Tilk Radio. You're going to be a great granddad. Pretty cool. Morgan is Ray Dawn's son. Uh, Morgan and his wife, Tracy, they've been trying to have a baby for quite some time. <laughs> Did you hear what I said to Morgan? What? Do you know who the father is? <laughs> the Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. world, world, world. I'm Radical Russ from the Russ Belleville Show. We're here with Sir Richard Branson. Far more damage has been done to people by the current approach. Jim McMahon. You know, a lot of the coaches are old school. You know, he used to just yell at us, go, oh, you bunch of bot smokers. John Popper on the telephone. You know, I think in the 60s, there was that kind of, the bigotry wasn't so concrete. It's the Russ Belville Show, the NPR of POT, weekdays live at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific, exclusively on CannabisRadio.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. I do not like them, Sam. I am. I do not like green eggs and ham. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Welcome back, everyone. 57 after the hour here. Closing things down here on the Russ Belleville Show. The Stoner Jesus Show is coming up next. Stoner Jesus is already in the chat room, ready to forgive your sins and bless your future, so long as you remain stoned. I'm not exactly how the, sure how the theology works. You'll have to ask Stoner Jesus. Coming up next here live on CannabisRadio.com. That's all the time we got for today here on the Russ Belleville Show. Thanks for joining us. Remember, tomorrow we've got our Cops Say Legalized Drugs segment. We'll be talking to ex-law enforcement officers who recognize the futility of our continued war on drugs. And then on Friday, we hope to have the organizer from the Oregon Fair, who uh, there will actually be cannabis plants uh, displayed at the fair. And we'll learn more about that on Friday's show. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. 
This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth.